0: I don't know about you, but I love a good meal. Any food lovers, foodies in the room? Yes, right? Like there's just something about when someone brings, when you're at a nice restaurant, like I love this place in Cambridge, they bring out, this is going to sound crazy, a charred broccoli with a butternut squash hummus that is out of this world. And I just love it. I love the presentation, the way it's sitting on the plate and I love the combination of flavors a good dish provides, the savory and the sweet together. I'm getting hungry now, actually. And as someone who enjoys traveling, I love trying the foods of different cultures. And, and, but more than food, I love what food does to people. I love that food has a way of just pulling us together. Like when you sit at a table with people, you're, you're choosing to stop and spend time with them. And some of our most significant events in life are around the dinner table or around the lunch table as we have people and family and friends to celebrate birthdays and holidays and and so forth. Well, meals are not only a significant part of our lives, but they're a significant part of the ministry in life of Jesus. So far in Luke, we've seen Jesus at a banquet with Levi, which is another name for Matthew. And we've seen him at a banquet with tax collectors and sinners. He was accused by the Pharisees of of eating with tax collectors and sinners. And today, we're going to actually go to a dinner party with Jesus. And we're going to see through a series of events at this dinner that those who know their need is greatest are those who worship Jesus the most. That those who can see themselves, that know the depth of their sin, are those who tend to worship Jesus with the most vibrancy. So, with that, turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 7. We'll be beginning in verse 36, and we'll read through the third verse of chapter 8. God's Word says, Then one of the Pharisees invited him to eat with him. He, that is Jesus, entered the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table, and a woman in, that, in the town who was a sinner found out that Jesus was reclining at the table in the Pharisee's house. She brought an alabaster jar of perfume and stood behind him at his feet, weeping, and began to wash his feet with her tears. She wiped his feet with her hair, kissing them and anointing them with the perfume. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, He said to himself, this man, if he were a prophet, would know who and what kind of woman this is who is touching him. She's a sinner. Jesus replied to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. He said, say it, teacher. A creditor had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50, since they could not pay it back. He graciously forgave them both. So which one of them will love him more? Simon answered, I suppose the one he forgave more. You've judged correctly, Jesus told him. Turning to the woman, he said to Simon, do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet, but she with her tears has washed my feet and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but she hasn't stopped kissing my feet since I came in. You didn't anoint my head with olive oil, but she has anointed my feet with perfume." Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven. That's why she loved much. But the one who is forgiven little loves little. Then he said to her, your sins are forgiven. Those who were at the table with him began to say among themselves, who is this man who even forgives sins? And he said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Afterward, he was traveling from one town and village to another, preaching and telling the good news of the kingdom of God. The twelve were with him, and also some women who had been healed of evil spirits and sicknesses. Mary, called Magdalene, seven demons had come out of her, Joanna, the wife of Chusa, Herod's steward, Susanna, and many others who were supporting them from their possessions. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, would you open our eyes that we may behold wondrous things in your word. Would you incline our hearts to your word, and would you revive us with your word, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. As we we begin working through our passage, the first thing I want us to see about Jesus is that Jesus knows. Jesus knows. Right from the start, we get introduced to the cast of characters in we see that Jesus gets invited over to a house of a Pharisee. Now, if you remember, Pharisees are the rulesy, rulesy people of the day. They're, they're hyper-religious. They see themselves as the guarders of the Jewish culture of the time, while they were occupied by Rome and were afraid of, of losing their culture. Um, they saw themselves as the preservers of that culture. And, and they were experts, on the Old Testament. They knew it inside and out. They studied this stuff regularly. These were people who made for really good neighbors because they like kept their lawns perfectly mowed. They like everything looked good in their house. They didn't have any HOA violations or anything like that. But they were also not a lot of fun. And throughout the, the book of Luke is they do not get Jesus at all. They have questions, they're skeptical in Jesus takes up the Pharisee on his offer anyways, and goes to his house for dinner. Now, it's kind of weird, right? Because in this time, meals were done a lot differently. They were a much more public affair. So in a house at the time of Jesus, like if you were particularly wealthy, you might be eating in a courtyard, which it seems to say from the text that that's where they're eating, and it would be normal for people to like, show up and just stand around to listen to the conversations some people who are impoverished would would show up at some of these meals and would wait for the like the leftover table scraps that they could eat so meals were this like public thing that often people would just show up to it's kind of like eating outdoors where you just have a lot of people around like if you're sitting at the works in concord and you just have people next to you except it's in your house and people can just choose to come in whenever this is the scenario. And now at this meal Jesus is at, there's people, you know, lots of bustle around. There's They're sitting at the table. They sit kind of differently back then, kind of like leaning forward with their feet kicked out behind them. And a sinner shows up. Things get a little bit awkward at the dinner table. You ever been to like a family meal where someone brings up a like a topic that doesn't really go over so well with everyone else and the room just gets silent or, you know, maybe like your host make a passive aggressive comment to to the other and everyone's just like, I don't really know what to do with that. Well, this is what's happening here. We don't know what exactly this woman did to be labeled a sinner. She could have been an adulteress. She could have been a prostitute. But either way seems that everyone knew that this woman lived a life That was a little bit messed up. That she lived a life that was a little bit, not even a little bit, a lot of bit against God's ways. We don't know exactly what it was, but people knew when she showed up, what is she doing here? Was going through their minds. And if it wasn't weird enough that she was there, it gets even worse. Because the situation is, the woman shows up and she's crying. And these aren't, like you get a sense from the text that she isn't like just a couple like trickle tears of overwhelmed emotions, but she's kind of ugly crying, right? Like, you know what ugly crying's like? Like she's, she's just a mess. She has tears flowing from her faith. She shows up and then she goes to Jesus' feet, lets down her hair, which in the culture of the time was really unseemly, and begins to, to clean Jesus' feet with her hair. And if you've ever been to an awkward dinner, I promise you this is more awkward, right? And if you're at the table, you're like, what is happening right now? This woman shows up. Perfume, expensive perfume. She dumps it all over Jesus' feet. She's wiping his feet with her hair. And she's sobbing. No one knows what to do. Except for Jesus. He knows. And he lets the woman wash his feet, and he waits. And in like right on cue, the Pharisee like has a fit, right? If you look at verse 39, he says, this man, if he were a prophet, would know who and what kind of woman this is who is touching him. She's a sinner. This Pharisee thinks the act of Jesus, even letting this woman come near him, is proof that he's not. Who he claims to be. The crowds, they think Jesus is some kind of prophet, but the Pharisee thinks Jesus is some kind of fraud. And he is skeptical. But Jesus knows. Jesus knows who this woman is. He knows why she's crying. And the Pharisee, well, he doesn't see a crying woman at all. He seems, he sees a less than. He seems, sees a category. He sees a person who is below himself. Someone who is not worthy to come to this table. And he sees a person who is less than. And we've all been in the room with people like that. People who think they're better than everyone else. Maybe we've even, if we want to admit it, have been that person from time to time. But Jesus knows what this Pharisee is up to in his heart. And he also knows what's going on in the woman's heart because Jesus doesn't just know. Jesus sees. Jesus sees. Note that Jesus responds right away with a statement that kind of lets us in to that Jesus actually sees what's going on in this Pharisee's heart. He sees the elitism, the pride, the hubris, all of it, the condescension, and he says, Simon, I have something to say to you, which is a really nice way of kind of saying, sit down and let me tell you something. Jesus is taking the upper hand in a conversation. This isn't like just Jesus is being a little bit direct, and the Pharisee backs down and says, say it, teacher. And Jesus begins to put Simon the Pharisee in his place. So what does Jesus do? Well, he tells a parable. Look at, look at your text. He says a creditor had two debtors, one, owned, one owned, owed, gosh, I can't talk, 500 denarii, and the other 50, since they could not pay it back, he graciously forgave them both. So which one of them will love him more? It's kind of setting up Simon, right? And Simon follows along with the story. Which one obviously would probably love the person more? Well, the one who is more in debt. Pharisee knows it. The one he forgave more. And Jesus says, well, you've judged correctly. He keeps setting the Pharisee up. And then he goes on in verse 44, turning to the woman, he said to Simon, do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet, but she with her tears has washed my feet and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but she hasn't stopped kissing my feet since I came in. You didn't anoint my head with olive oil, but she has anointed my feet with perfume. Does Simon see this woman? Well, in a sense, yeah, he sees her, and he's bothered by her. But does he see her? No, he doesn't. He sees somebody who isn't worthy. But Jesus sees somebody who is worshiping. The Pharisee can't see it all because he is blind. He is blind to a couple different things. We see that he is first blind to his own pride. I made a brief mention of this a little bit ago, but the Pharisee just sees sees other people as lower and lesser. He's not aware of the pride in his own heart, the arrogance in his own heart, the sin in his own heart either because he's, he's blind to the depth of his own need of grace and forgiveness. And you see, Jesus was taking this parable and he's starting to apply it directly to this Pharisee that that he's not actually forgiven much because he doesn't actually love much. The Pharisee demonstrates a lack of self-understanding about his need of forgiveness and grace, and it prevents him from receiving the forgiveness he needs. The Pharisee doesn't see his own need, and so it prevents him from receiving the forgiveness he needs. The Pharisee can't see the woman right, and he cannot see himself rightly either. And because he didn't see himself rightly, he missed Jesus too. Uh, The reformer John Calvin opened this famous two-volume work called the Institutes of Christian Religion with this. It says, nearly all the wisdom we possess, that is to say true and sound wisdom, consists in two parts, the knowledge of God and of ourselves. The knowledge of ourselves not only arouses us to seek God, but also, as it were, leads us by the hand to him, leads us by the hand to him. Our knowledge of who we are, our knowledge of the depth of our own sin has a way of leading us to by the hand to the person of Jesus. In the Pharisee, he doesn't have any knowledge of self he, he can 't see himself, he has not come home to himself he's not he 's not listened to brene Brown podcast and like got a, got you know rap on who he is he just he just sees this woman and he says "I'm not like her and he misses jesus too he 's blind to Jesus and then Jesus calls him out for not for not offering him water for his feet for not for not offering oil for his face and And in that culture, like hospitality was something that's expected. And what Jesus is actually saying is that there seems to imply in this text that the Pharisee didn't offer these things intentionally. That he was having a, it was a way of slighting Jesus. He didn't offer Jesus the hospitality he deserved. He didn't offer Jesus the worship he deserved either. And Jesus calls him out for not getting it. The Pharisee, doesn't believe in Jesus, and he's also blind to grace. And isn't it sad that sitting right in front of him is the Savior who can forgive? And because of his pride, in his lack of self-awareness, he is blind to grace. Jesus just healed centurions. He just or centurion servants. He just healed. Um, oh, oh woman with the withered hand, he, he healed. Um, he's preaching good news to poor, freeing captives, and Simon misses it all together. He's blind. He cannot see the woman. He cannot see Jesus. But Jesus sees the Pharisee, and he also sees the woman too. If Simon is blind to things. Well, the woman is aware of everything. And Jesus sees her. You know, maybe one of the first questions you ask when you come to a text like this is, well, why is the woman crying, really? I mean, she's got Jesus there. What is she so upset about? Like, why is she dem- why is she ugly crying in front of Jesus? Well, the text doesn't say exactly, but because of the tenses of the verbs and stuff like that that I won't get into here because this is in the Greek class, these tears seem to be from an overwhelming sense of gratitude for what Christ has done for her, in in response to an overwhelming awareness of who she is. She sees herself so clearly, and she and she kind of just needs to worship Jesus because she's received forgiveness from Him, and so she worship and loves Him, and just is willing to humiliate herself in front of front of people of good social standing because she has met the king and she has met the person who gave her good news that she needed to hear when society was rejecting her when everyone else is saying she's a sinner jesus sees her and saw her and forgave her and her response is lavish love and she's willing to risk her own reputation and her own honor to worship her savior she sees the jesus who sees her and Jesus saw her he saw her past he knew who she was he knew the sins that she had committed he knew that she was rejected in the broader society she knew that most he knew that that most people did not think that she belonged Jesus saw her past and this woman knows her past and knows her sin she's aware of it she gets it And Jesus meets her with love and grace. But Jesus doesn't only see her past. Jesus saw her future. Jesus didn't see her stuck in her sin alone. Jesus saw what she could be transformed by his love. He saw what he could do in her. He saw her future. One scholar puts it this way. And I love this. It says, it is not the sinner that Jesus sees, but what the sinner could be through God's love. It is Jesus's awareness of how God can transform people that makes him, rather than dwell on their past, look forward to what God can make of them. God's radical forgiveness of this sinner enabled her to receive and be transformed by his love. And I think this is good news, friends, because if Jesus sees the Pharisee and if Jesus sees the woman, he sees you. Maybe you're like this woman and you feel the crushing weight of your sin. You look at your life, you look at your past, and you're like, man, I really made a mess of things. He sees all that you are. There is no hiding from him. He sees it He knows it. He sees your mess-ups, your failures, your brokenness, the ways that you failed to love God and love other people. And he's not surprised or repulsed when you come to him weeping, saying, God, I don't know how you could forgive me, but I love you. And what we see here is that we see a Savior who is eager to forgive, is not repulsed by sinners, but, is, but moves towards them and doesn't turn them away. And if He won't turn away uh, someone who the whole religious culture has labeled as outside of God's love, if He won't turn them away, He won't turn us away either. So when you come to Jesus in your sorrow, know that He's not pushing you off, but welcoming you in. And this is encouraging for those struggling with sin, for those in the battle against pornography, for those whose anger gets the better of them more than they'd like to admit, for those wrestling with jealousy and just not content, for those who feel like their life is a mess and in shambles, for those deep in the dungeon of addiction, for those struggling with the sins of their past, for those looking to things like money, sex and power to give what only Jesus can provide. Jesus sees all of it. He sees you. And he knows. And the same grace that goes out to that weeping woman, Jesus extends to you. And he sees not only the struggle that you find yourself in right now, but he sees what God's grace is going to work in you. He sees someone (laughs) who is being changed and transformed by radical love Paul would say in Romans and those he predestined he also called and those he called he also justified which means made right so those he calls he makes right and those he justified he also glorified that that God in his kindness is not done with you yet. And this verse is a promise that what he started when you came to him, ugly, crying, messed up in your sin, he will one day finish. That he's not done. That he doesn't just see you stuck in your sin. He sees you as forgiven and being transformed. God is going to work his love out in your life and he's going to change you. But there is a danger For all of us, especially, I think, for those of us who maybe call themselves Christians. And the danger is to be like the Pharisee. To forget how much we've sinned and what our sins deserve. How do you relate to other people? What's your general disposition towards people? Well, it's an indication of who you worship. What's you look down upon others? Well, it's an indication that you don't see your own sin, right? What does your worship look like? Do you do you have affection for God that you just love Him? Well, and if you don't, that could just be a dry spell that you're going through, and that could also be just a, you're just not aware of your own sin and just how much Christ has forgiven you. What others say your life looks like. One that is loving God. Or would it look more like the Pharisee? Okay with having Jesus at your table. Okay with Jesus at your table, but not actually changing your life. Or does this look or does your life look like the woman's? Where you're just like, Man, I just love Jesus so much. He's done so much for me. Friends, Luke is presenting in the past three weeks, really more than that, but over and over again, he's presenting a way, that there's really only two ways to relate to Jesus. You either believe in what he says and you come to him broken and contrite and you come to him seeking forgiveness and you come to him saying, Jesus, I hear you preaching good news. Would you apply that to me? Or you reject Jesus. There's no middle ground. And he's made clear that that this woman, she has found Jesus and she has found forgiveness and her response is lavish love because those who know their sin is great, they will worship God the most. But the Pharisee, he's not found Jesus. He is, He's not believed in him. He is not aware of his sin. And so he's missing it all together. And Jesus sees the Pharisee's heart, sees the woman's heart, and he sees your heart. He knows, he sees, but Jesus also forgives. In verse 47, Jesus brings it all together and he extends forgiveness and condemns Simon all at once. He says, therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven. That's why she loved much because the one who is forgiven little loves little. Then he, he loved this. He's talking to Simon. He's saying, Simon, Simon, She loves much because she's been forgiven much. Her sins have been forgiven. And then he turns to her, weeping, sobbing, says, your sins are forgiven to you. And in this part of the text, Jesus is not just extending her forgiveness, but he's also supplying a new identity. The weeping woman is described twice in the story um, by the narrator and by Um, Simon as a sinner. Verse 37, she's known as a sinner. Verse 39, Simon calls her a sinner, but Jesus never refers to her as a sinner. Instead, Jesus twice mentions that she is forgiven, that her identity is not the fact that she is a sinner. She is not defined by the sins that she struggled with. She's not defined by the sins of her past, She's not even defined by the sins of her presence. She's defined as a forgiven person. Jesus supplies her a new identity. And that identity is forgiven. How many of us, we spend more time living out of the identity of sinner. That the way we even view ourselves is we we don't view ourselves as forgiven by God. And because we don't view ourselves by forgiven, we don't ever live in light of his forgiveness. And it, and it makes our hearts shrink instead of expand with worship. But Jesus gives us a new identity in him the same way he gives her a new identity. And that identity, friends, is forgiven. Made right, made whole. And the reason for her forgiveness has nothing to do with what she did and everything to do with who Jesus is. The Pharisee is constantly looking at himself. His works, his right livings, all the things he's done, the fact that he ties perfectly. He looks at those things and those are the very things that condemn him because those are not enough. He doesn't realize his need. but The woman just comes to Jesus and Jesus saves her. And the Pharisee's lack of faith condemned him Jesus says your sins are forgiven and why would he say that again like if she's known her sins are forgiven and this has caused her to just weep with joy and gratitude why would she say why would he say that again well i think what jesus is doing is he's assuring her your sins are still forgiven you are still right with me she is safe in that he sends her out with go in peace. Such a beautiful statement from Jesus. Hey, your sins are forgiven. Go in peace. Hey, your, your past doesn't define you. Go in peace. Hey, these people don't get to tell you who you are before me. Go in peace because the God of the universe sees what He's doing in you, and he has forgiven you and he is making you new in me. Go in peace and live in the world, knowing that you have the favor of God upon you. Go in the peace, knowing that how much you've made a hash of things, God still loves you. And maybe the last thing that Jesus does in this is the least obvious that not only does he forgive her, but he honors her. He honors her. In a culture that was dominated by shame and honor and guilty and justified, she, she, Jesus lifts her up and honors her in front of everybody. Right? You got the Pharisee there, wealthy, honored in society. Jesus simultaneously condemns him and honors her. As she is just like a mess because she's crying, her hair's a mess because she just wiped the dirt off of Jesus' feet and she got perfume there. Jesus raises her up and honors her in front of everybody that she is the one who is forgiven, that she is the one who is made whole, that she is the one who knows Jesus. She was scoffed and belittled by the culture. She was scoffed and belittled by the Pharisee and Jesus raises her up. To a place of honor and pulls her and gives her a seat at his table. It's a beautiful thing. And this is something we keep seeing over and over again with Jesus. He elevates the least, the lost, and the low. The people that religion, culture has forgotten, he's willing to pull up to the table and honor and in a culture that was dominated by patriarchy, Luke goes out of his way to mention women at the end of this chapter who made much of Jesus and actually funded the ministry, his ministry and the ministry of the apostles. In a culture that pushed down women, Jesus honored them as equals. And he does it with this woman here. Friends, lavish love like that. Lavish love that is willing to just worship Jesus in spite of whatever anyone thinks about you, in spite of whatever it costs you, only comes from receiving lavish grace. Those who know their need the greatest are those that worship Jesus the most because when they feel the depth of their sin. And they realize that they've been forgiven, made whole, and made new, and that God sees them and loves them. Well, those people worship the most.